Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. What's up, everybody? Coulter Nuanas, Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on uh, the second to last week of August. Crazy to think football just around the corner as we record this here on August 24th. High school football starts tomorrow. That's a Thursday with a variety of games around the state. The Frontier Conference gets started on Saturday, and uh, we're less than two weeks away with from college football getting underway with both Montana and Montana State opening up at home we will have crews in both Missoula and Bozeman from Skyline Sports. The Grizz take on Northwestern State in their opener on Saturday afternoon. It's a 1 p.m. kick from Washington Grizzly Stadium. And then Montana State hosts McNeese State. Gold Rush, 6 p.m. kickoff from Bobcat Stadium on Saturday. So I myself will actually be doing both. Uh, I'll be at the beginning part of the Grizz game and then the full th- part of the Bobcat game. And uh, we'll also have a variety of writers and photographers at uh, each venue. So Excited for a fun season, excited for a big year. I think we're going to have uh, boots on the ground pretty much everywhere that Montana or Montana State is this fall. So fun and exciting, and we couldn't do it without all of you guys. Also, thanks to all of our sponsors here at Skyline Sports, including uh, Blackfoot Communications, Nick Tabor, and Westpac Wealth, as well as Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. We're going to talk about some of our concerns because we've talked a lot about personnel a lot about key returners, a lot about key storylines and things like that here on the Big Sky Breakdown. But uh, there's obviously not just question marks, but what are the things that maybe could derail these team seasons? I don't want to take it down necessarily of projecting negative things upon these programs, but I do think that there's, you know, nothing in uh, in the sporting world is perfect. There's always tweaks you can make, and there's just some, some interesting storylines going on right now uh, despite all the hype and all of the national expectation for both Montana and Montana State, doesn't matter what poll you look at, the Cats and the Grizz are each ranked in the top four. They're both expected to be Big Sky Conference contenders. It was basically a dead heat when it came to the preseason polls for both the media uh, and the uh, the league's uh, respective coaches. Ironically, actually, Montana State got five first-place votes from the coaches. Montana got three even though the Grizz were picked to win the league by the coaches and the Cats picked third. So, uh, Brooks, it's so funny because one of the – Brooks Nuwana is joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. One of the points you made throughout the last two years coming into the pandemic is that the pandemic was going to stratify college football and the rich were going to get richer and the poor were going to have a hard time keeping up. The whole last six months in college football, everybody's been talking about this new Super 2 or maybe the Power 3 or whatever it's going to become at the top level – of FBS football. We've seen it in the big sky though, as well, you know, with the exception of maybe Idaho, maybe Northern Arizona. Other than that, it's the who's who that's going to be the playoff contenders. There's not really anybody else who could convince me that's going to be in the playoff mix from the big sky conference besides Montana, Montana state, Weber state, UC Davis, maybe Eastern Washington, maybe Idaho, maybe NAU. And of course, Sac state has got to be right there as well. And SAC maybe is actually the anomaly of all this because they are they have not been a who's who until Troy Taylor arrived. Now they are the two-time defending Big Sky champions. But uh, 
it's fun to have great and big expectations for Montana and Montana State. It also seems like it's a necessity with the way that the state of affairs in the world has worked right now, as, and as well as the momentum that both these programs have. Very much so. I think that it's a, it's a great point as far as we talk about the pandemic stratifying some of college football. I don't, I don't know yet if it's a bad thing. I've, I've actually kind of enjoyed um, some of the realignment, um, some of the ideas of who's going to play who for what kind of title. Um, that would be kind of my goal or, you know, if I saw a perfect, a perfect landscape would be that you tear it out so that everyone has a chance to, to go play for something. Um, that's the, my gripe with college football and why I love the FCS so much is that I want people to compete for national championships, no matter what level or division you're in. Um, so we'll see how that continues to, 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 uh, evolve. But the big sky conference right now, it's back to what we have talked about at skyline sports for, you know, the better part of almost 10 years now of how it really should be is that the teams with resources, the teams with tradition, the teams with regionality and recruiting, um, should be the teams on top. And that's really how it is right now. Um, Montana and Montana state, both being the top five in every single poll that's been put out is damn exciting. I mean, that is exactly what we always say is, is kind of the expectation is that these teams should be nationally relevant, not only to play each other at the end of the year, November 19th and bang heads in the brawl of the wild, but also, to get seated in the FCS playoffs and make deep run. It's also fascinating to me because Montana, for all of their uh, influx of transfers, has unbelievable program stability right now with five seasons under or five years under Bobby Howe going into the fourth season under Coach Howe and his staff. They've lost one or two coaches. That's it. It's the same coaching staff. It's the same recruiting strategy. You also go to practice though. The practices are almost identical every single day. It, they're an incredibly hard team to evaluate because you see the same thing. That's a testament to the routine that Montana executes every day. But there's just not a lot of variability in what you see. Basically what you see is you see the defense whooping the offense's ass over and over and over again. So I don't know if like Chris Walker, the, the new transfer who's supposed to be the starting left tackle, is good or not. I don't know if Lucas Johnson is better than what Montana's had at quarterback because the defense just looks so good, but everything just kind of looks the same. And every single guy knows they're competing for a spot, but defensively they're going to play 25 to 30 guys. So there is an opportunity for so many guys. So that all those guys are embracing that opportunity. They're all going hard. I just find it interesting because although Montana state is actually the team coming off the run to the national championship game, there's so many more storylines because it's only year two of a program, and I thought that last year, year one, was the most interesting year one you could possibly have. Brent Vegan did one of the best jobs I've ever seen from one factor. Don't screw up what you got. He totally stayed out of the way. He said, I know the players I got. We're going to ride these guys as far as they can take us. And, and, I mean, they let Troy Anderson and company run the team, basically, and they let Isaiah Fonse run the offense. And uh, so now I think it's more like a, a redo of year one at Montana State, whereas Montana, it just seems like a run it back from last year. Yeah, I 100% agree with Montana State especially, is that I consider this Brent Vegan's first year because, I mean, he really didn't have a big stamp on the program. It looked really similar to what they had done for years. I mean, the yeah. defensive scheme was a touch different. Where Troy Anderson lined up was different. Um, but offensively, you know they got they got creative. They definitely had some some unique tight end H back stuff, uh, but they pounded the football. You know they threw the deep ball here and there, but I mean they pounded the rock most most of the season, and they beat teams pretty handily uh, across the board. And then going into that Cat Grizz game, of course, I mean that was a guaranteed loss from Brett Vegan, right, Colt? I mean there was he. 
Brett Vegan was not coming in and taking over a program with that much prestige and that much talent. And it could go win that game for the fifth year in a row. It just wasn't going to happen. So uh, the way that all chalked out was was probably exactly how it should have um, into a national championship run, which is you know where both these programs have enough talent to do so. And you mentioned Colter at Montana. Practice is you know sometimes nauseatingly the same. It's just over and over the same thing. I really hope, and I think behind closed doors, we'll probably you know hear some rumblings of of how they're testing these guys, how they go about, you know, in this new age, how they go about challenging players uh, to get better. Because, you know, if you have an an unflappable scheme like North Dakota State does, it's plug and play. You're going to find the players. The scheme is so sound that you can kind of put anyone you want into there. That's not the case at Montana. So when you do the same thing every day, you kind of work through the same drills, you have the same structure, and you kind of just grind through a fall camp, you hope that you're challenging your players enough to take that next step because to take on a team like North Dakota State, South Dakota State, uh, it's going to have to be more than scheme and player development. It's going to have to be culturally, and it's going to have to be uh, at a very high level. And I think that Montana is is knocking on that door. I don't know if they've opened it yet. Big Shot Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Appreciate Blackfoot Communications for all of their awesome work with us. Uh, in helping us get all of this multimedia and podcast stuff rolling and presenting it to you. And uh, Blackfoot, just awesome, creative people to work with, no matter what realm uh, we are associating and collaborating with them. The, the, the sound scheme that you're talking about at MSU, which comes from the, the Gus Bradley and Scotty Hazelton uh, masterminds and, and has now been passed on down, I think there's a lot of concern for Bobcat fans with Freddie Banks, who was a star defensive coordinator, leaving in the offseason. Uh, but Willie Mac Garza is actually a guy that taught Freddie Banks the scheme once upon a time. Willie Mac Garza, if not for some of his off-the-field stuff, would be at a, a big-time program. And it's not to say Montana State's not a big-time program, but he's been at big-time places like TCU before. So he has uh, great experience. But more than anything, though, I think you see it. You know, for all of the great players North Dakota State's had, whether it's you know Kyle Emanuel or or Greg Menard or Jabril Cox or Robbie Grimsley or you know whoever else that they've had, all the guys I just named, it's not like it's just one position. They're all over the place. A different star in the system because the system is so diverse and it can shift. If you have a good corner and a good safety and a good linebacker, those are going to be your guys that year. Where and then the next year maybe you're really good up front. You have some younger guys that you're protecting. That's the thing that the Cats are going to have to prove that they can do, though, because they lose Troy Anderson, Daniel Hardy, Chase Benson, and Andre Williams. But they still have guys that they could have be the next stars at the next positions, whether it's Callahan O'Reilly at linebacker or Ty Okada in the secondary, Jeffrey Manning maybe in the secondary, Simeon Woodard in the secondary at corner. Who knows? But it just feels like, that's part of the formula, right? It's not just the changing of the guard, the passing of the player-run program. It's also that the scheme is so sound that it can take the loss of somebody like Troy Anderson because you just reallot the responsibilities. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what I mean in, in terms of the soundness of a scheme has the ability to, to be multiple and to be versatile, and that is so important um, you know, KYP, you know, know your personnel. It's, it's one of the most important things in all of sports. Uh, and the Cats have a, a challenge to do that. You know, I think that they have a lot unproven. Um, you know, a guy like Brody Greeby, who I think is such a, a, a kind of a transcendent project, 
But is he is he a guy? Is he a first team all league guy? Like he's being projected, he's going to have to prove that. Um, that is definitely you know a guy like Daniel Hardy who came in from a junior college and short football career, hadn't played a whole lot, gained the weight, you know, learned the position. That kind of stuff isn't just given. Um, and you know, guys like Brody Greeby will have to take that next step. And and Montana State with a coaching change recently, as we've mentioned, well doesn't necessarily have the plug and play mentality of. Well, no, that's just how we do it here. That the next guy that's up was was made for this, was recruited for this, has been developed for this. In a player-run program, you hope that can stay. But now, with the changing of the guard, Brett Vegan now again what we call like his one point five, like his first year really as his own program. Will that be the 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 stamp of his program? Will that be the calling card? Will it be a player-run program where all of that summer work uh, that goes in is is projected into what that potential is for some of these guys, um, especially up front. You know, I think in the secondary, I think Montana State is sound, but I think up front they have a lot to prove. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. And that's why you've seen it at North Dakota State where who they've lost has been truly irrelevant. It has never mattered. I mean, Robbie Grimsley started every single game of his entire football career at North Dakota State. He's one of the great safeties in the history of the FCS. I mean, I, I think the guy lost two games in four years as a starter. First team All-League. All four years, unbelievable career. And the narrative of who's going to replace Robbie Grimsley lasted for like one week the following season because they just have a next guy because it's not about replacing that guy. It's about reallotting the responsibilities within the sound nature of the scheme. That's what we're going to talk about is just sort of our analysis of some of the schemes here because we've given you a ton about the personnel. I think that this at this point – both these teams are still stacked personnel-wise. And at Montana, that's a direct reflection of both recruiting but as well as developing and also having a tactful plan with transfers. And Bobby Hawks did a great job of making that formula meet and have harmony. At Montana State, Jeff Choate's just a flat-out ridiculous recruiter. They just have ridiculous talent still. I have no idea if Brent Vegan is a good recruiter or not yet. I don't think it really matters because I think they have so many dudes and for some so for some reason, somehow, some way, almost none of them left. I thought when Choate left, it was going to be this mass exodus. Ironically, way more guys stayed than if Choate would have stayed. One of the only flaws of the Choate program at Montana State was that they'd have 30 guys leave every offseason. But Choate didn't care because he's a recruiting machine, and he'll just bring in 30 more guys, including half of them that are better than you. So he was going to out-recruit you anyways. And so if you were on your way out the door, good riddance, we'll get you some, we'll get somebody new. Not sure if Brett Vegan will ever be as prolific as Choke, because I don't know if anybody can. But uh, Montana State, we're not going to really find out if Brett Vegan's a good recruiter for, I think, at least another year, if not two more years, because they have so many dudes uh, within the program. But we've given you a lot of personnel analysis. I think that most of the personnel at these schools are pretty darn good uh, in terms of especially their headlining guys. But let's talk about more about the scheme because so there's your kind of your take on the Montana State defensive side of things. 
On offense, though, I think last year they were very limited in what they wanted to do because first and foremost, I think they were very limited at quarterback during the entire regular season. They just didn't want anybody to know that. If you were watching what they were doing, it, it was complex in the offensive line scheme. It was not complex uh, on the outside. Lance McCutcheon was running deep routes. Matt McKay was trying to throw deep balls. He couldn't. And then that's what completely changed during the playoffs is Matt McKay transfers, Tommy Lott comes in. How many times last year did we watch on the first or second play of the game from scrimmage for the Bobcats where Matt McKay threw the ball into the stands? How many games were there? They took a shot the first series within the first three plays, and Matt McKay threw it deep, and he hit one maybe, and he hit none. What does Tommy Lott do? He hits his first five against Sam Houston, and they are all the way off and running, and uh, that's a big difference. That said, it was simplistic in its nature because it can be when the offensive line is running all the gap scheme stuff they were running, you have multiple NFL-type guys up front, and they have the best running back in the league and Isaiah Fonse. You can keep it simple. For, to me, one of my big concerns for Montana Sarah, one of my big points of analysis is, how does the offensive line scheme get dumbed down because they have a lot of young guys there? And secondly, is their offense, in fact, maybe even more diverse because they have a functional quarterback who had a full offseason of preparation in Tommy Mallott and now a slew of running backs that aren't Afonso. None of them are going to be as good as Afonso. They all could be completely different than Afonso, though. So there's a potential for a lot of diversification within the offensive scheme at MSU. I think there, there really is. But, you know, it's funny. You look back at Jeff Choate's first year, um, and you, you had a bunch of guys um, in the backfield on offense, and Chad Newell and Gunnar Brecky, and you had all this depth. But that depth actually didn't really benefit them. When Montana State's been on these big runs and they've started, to, their trajectory has has tilted straight upwards. It's when they've had a dude. It's when they've been riding a workhorse. I think that a lot of uh, a lot of run first teams in the Big Sky Conference and the FCS in general ride a guy. That's kind of the nature of the hot hand. You know, we've seen success with 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 running back by committee approaches. But I don't know if that's really exactly how you're going to take it to a whole new level. Um, so Montana State, I think offensive line-wise, Coulter, as you mentioned, schematically, I think it has to change. I don't think it can be as diverse. I don't think that they have the, the athletes, the body types, the experience. I mean, they just graduated some, some guys. I mean, Lewis Kidd is one of the most underrated players we've ever covered. He's still in the NFL. He could be, be first-team all-league. He could be in the NFL. When people talk about dominant players, I don't think that he comes up on, on you know your first one, two, three guys. You know, you talk about Patrick O'Connell at Montana. You talk about Troy Anderson. Montana. Lewis Kidd is that guy. He is that guy. You can't replace him. And they're not only going to not replace him, they're going to put a freshman or a sophomore out there. Uh, very likely, I don't even know if they'll start to put a junior on the offensive line at Montana State. That's quite a that's quite a thing. That hasn't happened in a very long time. Guys like Rush Reimer, can he do it personnel wise? Sure. I believe he probably can. Will he schematically be able to do what they did the last two or three years? I, I just have to think not. Does that provide some diversity in the passing game podcast? When you're a loyal listener, we appreciate that a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more diverse on the back end, especially when you're trying to throw the ball in the intermediate to long, uh, short passing game. I think what MSU is going to try to put a high priority on is their athleticism on the offensive line. And that's nothing new. They've been very athletic on the offensive line, but they've also been enormous. I mean, Lou. When they were ro rolling with Lewis Kidd and Taylor Tuiasa Sopo and Zach Red and Connor Wood, I mean, that is four big ass dudes. And then you throw in TJ Session, who was just straight out the box. We talk about offensive line play all the time in the league. So often, the best guys are the guys that are developed. 
it's very rare that you get a guy like TJ Session who's 6'4", 285, right out the box, ready to roll. I mean, the dude would have been their number six offensive lineman as a true freshman if he wouldn't have hurt his knee. And then even coming back from the knee injury, he was day one starter no matter what. Like, there was no way that guy wasn't going to start. That's a high level of talent to have up front if you're the Bobcats. That said, I don't think they're going to be able to replicate the talent up front this year, but that doesn't mean they can't revise the scheme. Rush Reimer is nowhere near the mauler that Lewis Kidd was. But Rush Reimer's a guy with long levers and really good feet and great athleticism. So can you maybe find a way to accentuate that? Uh, I thought JT Reed was one of the most pleasant surprises I saw during spring ball at MSU. The one thing I know he can replace for what like Taylor Tuiasasopo does is the gap scheme stuff. Pulling, getting out in front, smashing people in the hole. If he is getting upfield in front of the backs on screen passes or flare passes or swing passes or outside zone plays or whatever, he can do that. I also think that Justice Perkins is a good player. He, he's he's going to be solid there in the middle. Can he be dominant? I'm not sure, but I think he's, I think he's fine. He's not a liability. Uh, and maybe he takes another step here. Uh, as he's been in the program for a few years. Uh, but I also think that as Marcus Ware to start, starts to learn his way at guard at MSU, you don't make that move unless you want to put him in a position to succeed. You don't make him a, a one right out the gates unless you know he can do it, at least to a certain extent. So, uh, And then the last spot at the right tackle spot, it's going to be two guys that came in with a ton of hype, Titan Fleischman or... Jacob Kettles, both guys that were highly recruited, both guys that have never played at MSU. But I just think that what I have vision, and I've only seen Montana State's offense three times this calendar year, and so I'm excited to see more of it. But I think it's going to be like an, an Ohio State-esque offense with, just with more deep balls in it, where Tommy Mallott is just a wizard with the ball in his hands. He's just playing Houdini. It's fake it to the running back, fake, keep it, throw the tight end arrow, throw the crossing route everybody's going to be moving all the time. So nobody's going to have to really overpower people up front. It's just going to be block them, shield them, get up field, let's roll. And just try to get chunk, 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 chunk as much as you possibly can. And that right there, Coulter, is exciting. And I think that that is exactly what they should do. And guess what? That's brand new. Right. That's a quarterback-driven system for a school that's never had a quarterback in, like, five or six in like six seasons. Yeah. I mean, we're talking since, you know, Dakota Prukop, that's 2014, since they've had a, a, a quarterback-driven offense. Uh, that's a long time. So t- can time a lot do that? Yes. But culturally, what does that do to a team that has been built mentally and physically to kind of play one way? If you want to be tough and physical and run the football, they're going to run the ball for, you know, 250, 300 yards uh, still. How do you mix in all that that other stuff? I, I, I do think it's possible, but I think it's a little bit more challenging than you think. Uh, or the average person can say, well, heck, we got a good quarterback. Let's start changing the offense. Let's air it out a little bit. All of that motion, all that movement up front, I think is absolutely the answer. What did Tommy Malott, uh do well last year throwing the football? He threw it deep. Did he do anything else well when he's throwing the football? Not particularly. You know, probably an average, if not below average, uh, efficiency ability to throw the ball between eight and 12 yards. So that'll be a new thing where you're, you're, that would be the concern schematically is not only is it going to change, but it also is going to evolve into something that they haven't done for a very, very, very long time. Big sky breakdown. 
presented in part by Opportunity Bank. Thanks to Opportunity Bank for all of the stuff they do around Montana, supporting college, high school, and youth athletics. Opportunity Bank is an awesome place for you to get any sort of your banking needs taken care of. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Grizz side of things. I was so interested last year coming into the year to see how much really good corners diversified the scheme for Montana. Well, it did. It It definitely did. They knocked people's butts right in the dirt all day, every day. Their defense was as good as I've ever seen. I think that it gets lost on fans. To play an incredibly high-risk, high-reward scheme like they play and still hold teams under 20 points a game is astounding. It's stupid. You can't really do it. If you want to be the team that leads the country in scoring, you run what North Dakota State runs, which is not any sort of high risk. It's just the the delicate dance of getting guys into one-on-ones and having guys make plays. The Grizz pressure you on what, 65 to 70% of the plays? It's unbelievably confusing for the opposing team. We always talk about the offense, like staying a call ahead of the defense. The Grizz are the ones that dictate what the offense does when they're on the field defensively. That's crazy. There's a couple handfuls, if less than that, programs that have done that in college football in the last 20 years, period. So what they're doing defensively is astounding. The other thing is where they're at right now is at the FCS level, it's just like the NFL. If you have a franchise player, he's a Madden-rated 95, and that guy gets hurt, the backup is so bad. That's almost always true at the FCS level because the backup is usually so inexperienced. The Grizz, name a player. If that guy got hurt, they'd be okay. They, you know, it's not going to be as good as Patrick O'Connell or Alex Gebner, but they're not. They're really good. I mean, Eli Alford is very good. You know, Levi Janicaro is very good. You know, Marcus Wellno, Braxton Hill, Michael Matthews, all those guys are interchangeable. They had five or six safeties. They got six or seven corners. So they have unbelievable depth and an unbelievable penchant for the scheme. I think they're rolling defensively. It's offensively where I have so many question marks. What happened to this creative offense that they were running back in 2019? Is it only personnel-based? Do they not run sweet stuff anymore because they don't have they, they, they didn't have Samari Torre and Marcus Knight last year? They didn't have Dalton Sneed? I think there's a deficiency on offense, both because last year I think they had a fundamental lack of trust in the personnel that they had, but I also think they completely regressed in their creativity. I think part of that is because the head ball coach wants to just beat you by beating your ass on defense and just making your head explode on special teams and whatever happens on offense happens. So uh, I don't know, maybe we, maybe the days of the creative offenses under Bobby Houck's uh, watch are gone. I'm not sure, but I mean the, the Grizz, the offensive part of the scheme has to be the biggest concern, right? We just talked about how across the hill offensively, you're going to have a lot of moving parts. You're going to get people to be, fluid and and diverse and, and get the especially up front you're going to create some confusion because that's defensively what teams want to do that is the hardest part Coulter for what the Grizz are, are wanting to do on offense right now is that up front it looks the same kind of down in down out their zone blocking scheme doesn't be, create a lot of diversity I think that 
defenses, when they plan for it during the week and they get in the game and see it, I think that they feel pretty confident. I don't think that they are, you know, coming in there expecting to win in Washington Grizz if you're Portland State or something. But I think if you watch the film and you make a game plan for what Montana wants to do offensive line-wise, I think as a defense, you feel relatively confident that you're going to see only a couple looks and you're going to be able to get after it a little bit. So I think that is a problem. I think up front, they lack a lot of diversity in, in, in their scheme and what they want to do offensive line-wise. The, you know, they do a lot of partnered-up zone-blocking schemes. They try to reach you a little bit on the edge. They... I don't know what the goal is, what you're going to set up with that. You know, they don't really put you on your heels ever. They don't really smash you in the mouth um, up front. And then when it becomes to a passing down, I think guys can kind of put their ears back because they just kind of can expect what's coming. So diversity-wise, sure, you can create some, you know, twirly-doos and whip-de-woos on the outside and throw it to, to receivers in open space, and that, that's all fun. But I think it really does start up front with creating a little bit more confusion, creating a little bit more of a presence, and a little bit more of dictating what you want to do offensively than rather you know trying to feel out the defense and see what comes to you. Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. When you run zone blocking stuff like the Grizz do, having big bodies that can move a little bit are key, and then having trust is key as well. But also, when you're going to run that scheme, you also have an opportunity to have such a diversity of ball carriers in the backfield, and you can run outside zone and counter and a bunch of other stuff that Montana doesn't run. All they ran last year was inside zone. I didn't understand why you do that, especially when you have scat back freshmen as your running backs. If, if I was Montana, if I was king for a day at, at Montana, I would run a whole bunch of Denver Broncos stuff. That's what you run, the Mike Shanahan stuff from the early 2000s where it's a one-cut system, and then you just rotate one-cut running backs in there. People that are listening to this, remember, if you're a Donkeys fan, that, you know Terrell Davis was transcendent during his top years in Denver. But then you had guys like Alandis Gary and Mike uh, Williams and like all sorts of other kind of just middle of the road running backs that would have 12, 13, 1400 yards because of the way that the scheme was set up and the way that they executed it. And I just, I think that Montana could run the ball better than they do, better than they have the last several years by improved offensive line play, by improved running back play, but more importantly, by improved diversification in what they're running with their running backs. And we're talking scheme and not personnel, but a lot of that has to do with just the personnel on the edge. You can't press the edge if you can't get the edge. Right. And I think that they've had some decent talent in the inside, at you know, center and guard, some functional talent. And it's been tackle that they've struggled at. But their tackles last year were good. They were, but I, I would have, in my opinion, I would pair up, I would make a dynamic duo and put them on one side. Right. I would take my two best offensive linemen and put them at left guard and left tackle. Mm-hmm. Instead of they put a good guy on each side, but then there's a weak link. Right. And you talk about that zone blocking scheme. You have a partner with you, and there's a guy on both sides, that whoever that may be, that doesn't have the trust, but mostly doesn't have the communication because of experience. There's little mistakes here and there. How how quick your feet are moving, how fast you're trying to get to the second level. What that, little, that zone 
reach that you're trying to get the edge or if you're trying to seal off a tackle and, and run inside zone. Um, all of those things have to do with experience. And um, I agree with you, Colton. I would press the edge like crazy. I mean, you talk about Mike Shanahan. Well, his son does it pretty well, too, for the San Francisco 49ers. And guess what? You press the edge until the hole opens up. You just continue. The hole may be right there in the A-gap. It may open up right away, and you may have a little cutback. But if not, you continue to press it to the edge. Um, until that, until you get a lane. And I think Montana wants to do that, but they just haven't been able to do it very successfully. A lot of that, you know, a lot of the importance of that zone scheme as well has to do with blocking on the outside at wide receiver and tight end. I think both programs at Montana, Montana state have a, a tremendous depth at tight end. Montana's tight ends have looked impressive. I think that they got some dudes, some young guys. I think that can block, you know, if we're going to call, you know, my, my enterprise, throw it to the tight end. Well, Get some tight ends that can block too, you know. As Mon- when's the last time Montana put a power pair out there of two tight ends and really ran something aggressive to the edge? And they're not going to pull a guard, right? That's not the scheme. They're not pulling people. They're not. They're not sending offensive linemen across to the other side of the line. So maybe you, you put a tight end in there, um, or even two that could help press that edge. We know Cole Grossman is, you know, arguably one of their best players, if not one of their best offensive players. Certainly, uh, he's not necessarily that big bruising blocking tight end but they do have some guys that could do it so i think some of those additions could help montana tremendously as well as some diversity on first and second down you know they they kind of they play the video game like the seven-year-old you know they kind of just run it on first down and see what they get second down maybe you know check it down on third down it's third and six we're gonna run a seven-yard hitch you know it's like yeah i think everyone kind of knows what's what's coming make sure i break down here on SkylineSportsMT.com. We'll have tons of other stuff for you, but any last points to make here, Brooks? I think that we've kind of summed it up. I think that the Bobcat offense is going to be objectively different. How successful does that make it? I think that the defense, if they can carry over sort of the tradition of consistency that uh, comes from the coaching tree that the defense was created under, okay, I think they're pretty good there. I think the Grizz defense is lights out. I think that they have the exact personnel, the exact depth, the exact mentality to run what is a completely unique and uh, chaotic, but in this case, very effective scheme. And then the Grizz offense, they just need to figure it out. They got to, they got to figure out a way to get more diverse. They got They great example here. Brent vegan stayed, stayed out of the way last year. Montana has got to figure out a way to stay out of the way on offense. And when they do get it, like what, what's going to happen with Montana is they're going to overwhelm people defensively. They're going to dial up stuff offensively, or excuse me, on special teams. That's going to give them the opportunity to seize momentum. The only way you can seize momentum and step on the other team's throat is if you capitalize. Last year, they couldn't capitalize. That's why they lost Eastern Washington. That's why they lost to Sac State. When they did capitalize, they beat teams 38-3 to like they did down the stretch into the playoffs. you got to figure out a way to capitalize on those things, though, and so... On one hand, it is on the players to capitalize when the moments arise. But on the other hand, the, when those moments come, when they come, whatever. But they also have to just figure out a way to manufacture at least a few points by stay, like by not just overcomplicating and or letting a lack of trust uh, get in them. Anything else to add? No, I, I couldn't say it much better. I, I, do, I don't want to say I have concerns, Coulter, for Montana at the nickelback position. But I think that there's a third safety. There's a hybrid linebacker. There's a nickelback in there. That they need to define who that's going to be. I don't think that's going to be challenging for them because they have so many different players, but I do think it's an important position for them. Trajan Cotton has been beat up. Garrett Graves, we can't really decide. He's kind of a tweener. He's kind of a linebacker body. 
He's kind of a nickelback. Doesn't necessarily play that that amazing in open space, though. You know, plenty talented athletically. So I do think that is it a, is it a, is it a, a true corner that they start playing there instead of that hybrid safety linebacker? I think for the scheme, it's more important than people think. And if Trajan Cotton ends up not being super healthy early on, there may be someone else that rises to the occasion. I do think it's a really important position for the scheme, especially if they want to be the number one defense in the country, which I know is probably the goal. You can always find us weekly, Big Sky Breakdown for Brooks Nuanas. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at it very soon. Excited football is here. Thanks to our great sponsors, Blackfoot Communications, Nick Tabor at Westpac Wealth, as well as Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC.